it's really hard. Like it, it's something where I'm like constantly fighting my instinct because you know, like your instinct is always to there's something that's going wrong. I have the answer. So let me just like step in and like help solve that real quick. But that just creates such a codependent relationship with your employees or with your staff. And so like the moment that you just like feed the answer in real quick, they never got a chance, you know? And so there's, they've never had the opportunity to sit with a problem and really struggle with it and then fix it. Once they do that, then that becomes an amazing, just sort of like self-sustaining loop. They get confidence out of that. And then the next time some sort of problem crops up, they're just like, oh, this looks a little bit different, but like I'm the type of person that solves problems. And then once they start thinking that way, it's like off to the races. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Turn up the volume in your earbuds as we are broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We are your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. From the first timers to the seasoned vets, we truly appreciate each of you inside this community of lifelong learners. It's your passion and your enthusiasm for this podcast your quest for baseball knowledge, your commitment to the ABCA, connecting this group of phenomenal baseball people. It charges us up every single day. We're proud to be on this path with you, and we have another dynamite episode on deck for you today. Find us wherever podcasts are free. Hit subscribe on there. Leave us a review and a rating, plus share this podcast with anyone you feel like would appreciate these conversations. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us at ABCA1945. If you're looking for more information about what this baseball coaching fraternity here is all about, head over to our website, abca.org. Also, make sure you subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. There's so much outstanding and free content waiting for you on there. The Roadshow episodes, plus live interviews from the Dallas Convention, and even something new, our very first extra innings episode with Brian Green from New Mexico State. We break down hitting, and we get to share BG's screen as he walks us through drills in the cages and out on the field. It's amazing content from one of the very best offensive minds in baseball. Best of all, it's free. So how do you find this stuff, you might ask? Easy. Type in the website, youtube.com slash ABCA1945, and make sure you hit subscribe and turn on notifications. If I can help you out in any way, please feel free to reach out to me directly at CoachSheets3 on Twitter and Instagram or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA.org few quick shout outs to folks that reached out in the past week or so. First off to my main man, Ben Real, the head coach at Indiana University Southeast. Ben gave me a call and we laughed because it was around this same time a year ago. He dropped, keep growing while you're mowing. Been a mantra inside our community of grass cutters out there, but this go around, he drops that I stand as the Morgan Freeman of the baseball community, narrating the growth of coaches around the world. And you know what, Ben? I'm going to take that, Bubs. I'm going to be honored and grateful for the opportunity to stand with Morgan on this platform. I'm right here beside you. We're learning together. We're growing together. And, dude, I appreciate the call. Also, my good friend Joe Capabianco from Pittsburgh, Coach Cap, he reached out and broke down his journey in baseball and how the podcast plays a big role in helping him focus on his job, plus also scratch his passion for the game. Much love, Joe. Truly value your words and your message. 
And we want to hear from more of you guys. So shoot us a note. We've got open DMs on Twitter. You can email, you can call, you can text. Help us continue to meet every single loyal listener. We want to hear your story. We want to hear how these shows are hitting you on the other end of the call. We want pictures of your car dashboard or you up on the mower stripe in your yard. It's all deadly, and we'd love to hear from each of you. Huge thanks to our great friends and longtime ABCA partners over at Rawlings. We're honored to have one of the true flagship baseball organizations like Rawlings attached to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, and they see the value in these shows, reaching and connecting with every single baseball enthusiast, fan, parent, player, and coach inside of these episodes and with these guests. From gloves to helmets to uniforms and apparel, these guys have so much to offer each of you. So do us a favor, check out their entire product line on their website, Rawlings.com, that's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. We hope to see you join Team Rawlings today. And finally, we land at today's interview, and we call into Kent, Washington, to connect with Driveline Baseball CEO and friend of the association, Mike Rathwell. And what a fantastic conversation for you guys this week. We cover a plethora of topics, but mainly focusing our energies on the parallels between running an organization and being a coach. It's a deep dive into the life of an entrepreneur, but it's directly comparable to the life of all of us in the trenches as coaches. We talk about communication systems. We unpack employee training ideas. We uncover personal growth and leadership principles. Plus, the back half of the show is where Mike truly shines. As we spotlight another special member inside this association, we talk his influences, how he's engineered, and it lands us back at another Take Feverish Notes episode. And with that, let's dive in headfirst with the CEO at Driveline Baseball, Mike Rathwell. He is our guest on this week's Dugout Chatter episode. So get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We're going a little off the grid, but we're staying within our baseball community with an individual that I feel like will bring tremendous value to this community of lifelong learners. Give us a different perspective. We're not talking fundamentals inside the game. We're talking about thinking a little differently, thinking outside the box, but mainly focused on leadership, building a program, building an organization, leading from within, engaging and and inspiring your people. And we're going to get into the depths of that with the CEO at Driveline Baseball, dialing in from Kent, Washington, Mike Rathwell. Mike, thanks for jumping on the call with us. Sheets, it is literally an honor. Thank you. <laughs> Excited to have you, my friend. This is a long time coming. You know, I've been discussing this for for a number of months now. In fact, we got on a, a call a couple of days ago and we spent about an hour and a half. We probably should have just recorded that and pumped it out. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> we, we should have just done that. <laughs> we got into some details. It was good, but we're going to recreate that. We're going to get into, uh, again, a heavy conversation. And again, to set the stage for this, uh, you're certainly an individual that we connected with a, n- a number of years ago. We got you guys involved with our first Barnstormer series out west. And that was my real personal taste of not only what was going on there at Driveline, but more importantly, who you were and how you're engineered and, and where you've come from and where things have gone over the last few years, which I completely admire. But let's get into this before we get too deep is uh, talk about ABCA. It's a great way to kick off our shows. Your experience being part of the association, certainly as a as a loyal partner inside what we do, but man, you guys, and, and we talked and we'll probably get into the convention experience, but just lay out what the ABCA has been able to do for you, but also driveline. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, uh, 
we've done most of our work with the ABCA uh, at the conventions and then also the the Barnstormer event, I think in 2017, maybe 16, not, 16. Yep. time flies. Yeah. And, and for me, it's just about, you know, connecting with the coaches. Coaches are, you know, sort of our heart and soul customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just being able to to meet them. Uh, there's so many people that I've had uh, conversations with uh, strictly online, whether it's through Twitter or email or whatnot. And uh, just to be able to put a, a face to a name is is amazing. And uh, to be able to sort of tell our story in person is is huge. Um, you know, we started conventions in I think 2015 in Orlando uh, was our was our first one, yep. and we've sort of expanded our presence there every year. We think it's a really valuable. Obviously, the convention is very valuable for a number of reasons, uh, but the key one is just you know, just being able to get out there and, and talk to people. Well, I think it might be the understatement of the, of the show so far, Mike, is just that watching you guys and it's very admirable from a distance and, and to watch you guys come in and jump on right on, right on the the front gates of the expo theater. And the first year doing uh, one clinic, then moving into two, and then certainly uh, really dominating that presence up there on that expo theater stage, driving traffic over there. I was more impressed with this, and, and I talked to Kyle about this on the podcast stage, and, and again, that was an awesome experience. We had about 200 coaches out in front of our stage listening to the conversation, but I was so impressed that you guys took the initiative to recognize the opportunity, as you mentioned, to have the entire baseball community there on site, and you, again, maximizing the opportunity to drive traffic. You guys tweeted a schedule that was like minute by minute. Hey, at 10.10, we're doing this. At 10.40, we're doing this. And it was all with inside the, the trade show hours, not to mention the stuff you were doing throughout an expo theater. So just, again, the evolution of this, uh, how did this year's experience go for you in terms of maximizing the opportunity compared to years past? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that uh, speaks to just something that uh, we've sort of uh, talked about internally for a couple of years, which is, one, uh, it's really busy, uh, you know, the yeah. convention, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to do. And so, you know, just trying to serve, uh, coaches and, and attendees the, the best way that we can, uh, they just need to know what they can see when, and yeah. yep. you know, it, it, I think it really helps coaches to be able to see, okay, this is everything that's going on, uh, you know, that's related to sort of driveline and then, but I still want to go, you know, uh, catch, you know, uh, anybody, Jake mm-hmm. McKinley, I want to go see like his talk. And it, that, that piece is so, uh, is so critical. So for us to just be able to like lay it all out and say, here's, here's what it is. And then again, it's just the ability to like our big focus there is just education. Like yes. here's, here's the new products that are, that we've rolled out in the past year. Uh, here's like new ways that we can potentially like run a service for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, you know, I mean, shoot, we, we'll just sit there and chop it up related to stuff like, you know, pitch development, uh, mechanics, weighted ball programming, uh, a lot of the stuff around hitting. I mean, we'll just, it's a great opportunity to just have like 30 minute conversations with six guys just picking our brains. That's it. Well, accessibility is the key. And I think, uh, when coaches have you guys right there and it's, it's beyond a Twitter presence or a DM or even a phone call, that certainly helps. Now I think to lay out the the groundwork for this, Mike, and where this conversation is going to go. And again, not centrally focused on driveline per se, but more of the perspective that you bring, which I think is so unique. I mean, being a CEO, but a baseball guy at heart and definitely within 
the the platform that you guys have built within the baseball community, I think it's a great way to kind of bring us up to speed on your career path in baseball and what really led you to that big executive chair there in Kent. Sure. Um, I mean, my, my career in baseball should have like very large air quotes around it. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, I, what I've, what I've said to athletes that we have to sort of highlight the value of player development is like, you can have a hall of fame career by just being only ever the second best guy on the team. Like what matters is your like rate of improvement. Um, and I think I, uh, you know, sort of maximized my career path of being like the 18th best guy on the team. Uh, because I just did like, I worked incredibly hard. I played at uh Brophy prep in, uh, in Phoenix, which is where I grew up and then played four years of D three ball at Whitman college, which, uh, just made the playoffs this year. Uh, an amazing job by Brian Kitamura, who played with me. Um, but that, uh, you know, that experience was, I was always basically like the last guy on the squad. Uh, I deliberately chose Whitman because it was literally the only place in the States that I could probably start, uh, as a, as a freshman. Uh, and that's solely due to the fact that they went like four and 36 or something the year that I the year before I was there and literally only had one catcher on the roster. Wow. Like I, I went up there as a catcher and they were, I was like, yeah, uh, you know, this is who I am or whatever. And Casey Powell, who's a coach at the time was like, well, yeah, you'll get some playing time. Cause okay. uh, we just have one guy. Strategic <laughs> like, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of like, that was, that was like really how, uh, how I kept my college career alive. Uh, and then for four years played there, uh, transitioned over to being a pitcher my junior year because I was just sick of having guys bounce like 73 mile an hour fastballs into my forearms as a catcher. And, uh, so I was like, well, I can't throw very hard, but I can at least get it over the plate. Sure. And, uh, and that was it closed out. Uh, I pitched and caught my last two years. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on a podcast, but, uh, my, uh, basically like I was, I had zero tools, but was like constantly sort of like the team captain. Um, and, and I think a lot of that was just like hard work. I mean, and, and part of that was the inspiration for, for seeing what driveline could become like very early on was knowing like, if I just had a path, I could have funneled my work ethic into a much more productive place. Hmm. Uh, cause like my work ethic was like, uh, <laughs> uh, my my senior year of high school, uh, I just won the like end of practice plank competition that we did every day. You know, like that. I was just like not willing to be beat on that front. Yeah. Uh, but that was like the only thing that I could win. So I just decided to like go win it because uh, I like wasn't going to be faster than our fastest guys. I wasn't going to hit for more power. So I was just like, you know what? I'll have the best planks. But like that doesn't carry over to the field at all. Like <laughs> that's not a that's not a tool. That's just you know me being hyper competitive and, uh, and like deciding to win on the one thing that I can win on. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that's always been sort of the way that I've, uh, been, been wired, I guess. Mm, that's outstanding. Well, and again, I think it just brings the, the perspective out that this is where I'm coming from. It's certainly not a place of I've got the answers or, you know, I come from a professional background, but but this is where I've, you know, how I've kind of groomed my way of thinking, which I think there's a lot to be said for 
And I think it leads into this, you know, being a CEO brings a, a host of responsibilities and certain pressures, things that you really got to constantly be involved with, but you know, you can liken it to coaching. And I love the, that you and I got to discuss that again a couple of days ago. And we're going to talk about it here is just, you can parallel these things really well. And I think when you look at the, the bigger picture, especially of, of high profile programs, a lot of those guys, again, the ones that are doing it really well, they view their job almost in a CEO-esque uh, manner in, in which they have got to have my hands on all these different moving pieces, but it's less, I think it all shifts. It's less about being in the cage with the guys. It's less about down on the field hitting fungos. When you do, it's a bonus, but it's a lot of managing things on the exterior to make sure that things go really well on the interior. So again, can you kind of walk us through, because it seems like we're, we're on the same path here from being a CEO and you could liken it to being a coach. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I'll start from just being a player, which is if you're a player, you know, you're, uh, from like a very narrow sense, you're sort of responsible for your own output. Um, you can, you can certainly influence the players around you. Um, but on the field, you know, it's just you swinging the bat. Yeah. If you're that switches though, when, when it comes to coaching and whether it's, you know, a head coach or like a skill coach, you know, like pitching coach or, SNC or hitting or whatever, um, you know, to, to me, what I think about in, in my role is like my functions are, I've got to determine what success looks like for us. You know, like mm-hmm. there's going to be a way that we win. So what does that look like? And, and then two is communicate that out day in and day out, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, literally communicating it verbally or whatnot, or just doing it by the way that you sort of approach your business. Um, and then the third is just really hammering out the, the system for how to achieve what it is that we set out to do. Mm-hmm. So we're like, and, and those things I think carry over whether you're, you know, the head coach of a team or the, the hitting coach or whatever, there's, there's something, there's a way that you want to win. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you've got to spend the bulk of your time sort of designing the system to figure out how to how to get exactly that. That's it. Well, it just, it comes back to probably every conversation we've had on here with, especially head coaches. I mean, I think that that's the way they're engineered. They see it that way. They know they have this list of things they need to make sure that they're on top of a lot of it's planning and organizing and, uh, managing the moment, but also managing five minutes from now, five right. months from now, five years from now, um, your approach to leadership. And this is interesting because again, you're, you're managing and directing people, uh, under this, this pyramid of, of what's going on there at driveline, but what have you learned? I mean, and again, I think a little bit of it is define what your approach has been, but what have you learned? What works for you, but what works in your environment? Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what I think works particularly for our environment, but then also just the way that I'm sort of wired in general is I, I really think that our, my responsibility is to sort of get the very best out of the people that we have. And then, uh, and, and that to me is you just got to challenge them. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way to get, uh, to get the best out of someone by, uh, you know, writing the answers on the test for them. So, so we sort of think a lot about how can we, uh, a train, train someone up to the level where they can be challenged mm-hmm. and then really just giving them a lot more ownership and responsibility, uh, than they might even be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because a, you know, if we're, if we're trying to 
grow and expand our impact inside of the game, then it can't just be myself or it yep. can't be just me and Kyle. Like, you know, there's, there's too many things to do. Mm-hmm. So, so we've got to, we've got to put people in situations where, you know, we're sort of challenging their capacities. Uh, and then it's, and then it's my responsibility to sort of check back up on those things. Like, Hey, you know, we set, we set this out and we said, okay, you're going to take over this, uh, sort of like piece of the, you're going to take over this job inside of our organization. And what success looks like here is this and this and this. And, and then I'm going to come back in in two weeks and, and we're going to see how you're doing. And if, if you get, if you're stuck somewhere or whatnot, then like use me as a tool to like get yourself unblocked. Like we just constantly talk about, and like, I've forced people to write in updates, like what's blocking them yeah. because I want to make sure that it's, that they get unblocked. And, and sometimes that's like, sometimes that's my fault. You know, it's like, uh, like what's blocking you? Oh, Mike hasn't responded to me in two days. Oh shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that's all me. <laughs> well, it also sounds like, I mean, you're, you're into delegation like that. That seems to be a, uh, what I'm drawn from it. Is it something, is that, is that true? But is that something that you've always likened yourself to as a leader or is it something you've had to grow into inside the space? I mean, I think I've always been sort of wired that way. Um, from just from like, uh, places that I, places that I sort of like look at as, as leaders in sort of the business space are things like Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon and, and certainly their cultures, uh, shade towards like a, a more sort of, uh, delegation forward approach. Okay. Um, but it's, it's really hard. Like it, it's something where I'm like constantly fighting my instinct, uh, because you know, like your instinct is always to, there's something that's going wrong. I have the answer. Yep. So let me just like step in and like help solve that real quick. Yep. But, but that just creates such a codependent relationship with, uh, with your employees or with your staff. And so like the moment that you just like feed the answer in real quick, the, they never got a chance, you know? And so th- there's, they've never had a, they've never had the opportunity to, to like sit with a problem and really struggle with it and then fix it. Like mm-hmm. once they do that, then, then that becomes like an amazing, just sort of like self-sustaining loop. Cause like yep. they get, they get confidence out of that. And then the next time some sort of problem crops up, they're just like, Oh, well I've already like, this looks a little bit different, but like I'm the type of person that solves problems. And then once they start thinking that way, it's like off to the races. That's it. It's a growth opportunity. Well, it- yeah, I mean, codependence is just death, like, uh, on the, st- on the staff side, but then also on the, on the athlete side. And that's, that's uh, something where since we hire a, a, probably like 40% of our staff right now is like former athletes that have come through the gym in some form or fashion. And so they get that a lot on sort of the training side of things, uh, where like, we're very much trying to create independent athletes. Hmm. Like if you constantly need just like the cue or whatever, (laughs) Jason, uh, Jason Ochard actually has a good, a good sort of like quote about this where he's like, uh, he was talking about a, a kid that he used to coach and like a moment where he sort of like realized that, uh, that this kid was just like not set up for success. Cause he, he like struggled in two at bats early in the game and then just like launches a ball off the wall and he's standing on second base, like checking in, like look, waving into the dugout being like, was my swing on time? And it's like, you just oh. hit a, <laughs> it's like you just hit a double, you know, like, yes, it was good. 
like you have to know enough to know that like that's but but like that's the that's mm-hmm. the codependence thing right it's like yeah. he's he has he's got no critical thinking sort of like loop that's running in his head right then so it's just like oh okay like anytime anything happens i need to go outside myself to get the answer and then i can feed it back into the my like uh you know my like emotion generating machine mm-hmm. no 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 like that that's the loop that you've got to cut wow okay last follow-up on on the delegation side if there is a coach listening to this mike and and he struggles with delegation and i am raising my hand behind the microphone that was something i always i struggled with and i think it's back to what you said i think the human response is no man i got it because if it fails i'm okay and i can sleep at night that it was on me if it's on someone else uh, you take that so personal and and uh, you know it's real it's real self-deprecating a lot of times it's like man i should have just taken that over but what is a coach that is listening to this that struggles with delegation what advice would you give them directly to that Man, uh, that's a that's a tough one um, because there isn't there isn't really like a a silver bullet necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think the things that help me the most are um, Andy Grove has a good quote about this in uh, High Output Management, which if anyone is looking for like basically a handbook on how to how to do a lot of these things, uh, uh, actually like all of our department heads are I'm forcing them all to read it in a book club, and we're like doing the exercises in the back of the book. Um, what's the name of the book again it's called high output management it's uh, written by andy grove who was the ceo of uh intel for a number of years and was the guy who sort of helped them make the transition uh into chips um anyways his quote is uh the output of the manager is the output of the organization and so i tend to think about that um because like you're just going to need to have if you want to expand the output of the organization and you want to sort of continue uh improving then you know your your people have got to have got to improve uh as well and so that that's one piece um and then the second piece is like um and this is the piece that i think uh is like a, a difficult thing to struggle with but i'm I'm okay letting certain fires burn. And I think over time I've gotten really, I've fine tuned that, right. Which is like really calibrating, like which fires are okay to like continue to burn for a little bit. And what's, what stuff is like, call the fire department. Extinguisher extinguisher now. Yeah. Yeah. Rip the extinguisher (laughs) off the wall. Like what, what is that? And, and that that's a thing that you can only get comfortable with by letting certain things burn. You know, it's like, Okay, you know, but but that means that you've got to have a a pretty strong sense of what you're trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. because a lot of times I think where people get into into struggles, and, and certainly I deal with this as well, is like if you don't have a pretty clear sense of what your output should be, or how you should win, or what that even looks like, then there's just too much stuff going on in any given day. And so your calendar just gets blown up with everybody else's problems. And like, there's so, there's so many things going on, right? Like if you're, if you're a Juco pitching coach, uh, a, you basically definitely have a second job. So you've got all the stuff that's going on at your like regular job. Uh, then you're also like recruiting coordinator, uh, you know, field guy, uh, you probably have to sit in on some meetings for the school, you know, 
not not to mention all the problems that come with being the actual pitching coach. You know, like we haven't even gotten to that job. Um, And and then uh, and then you've got like a bunch of self-development stuff that you're trying to do. You know, there's there's so much stuff going on there. So everything can start to feel like a fire. You know, it's like, Mm. oh, well, like, you know, the sprinkler system's not working and there's a kid coming for a visit that I really want to get. And, you know, my my boss at Best Buy is like yelling at me. And it's like, like all of that stuff can get equal weighted because it's all just like coming in. So it all looks like uh, it all looks like one unit of thing that you need to worry about. Mm -hmm. But if you have a strong sense of like what winning looks like, then it's like, okay, well, like the field stuff, I can I can sort of like lower that or uh, I've got a guy that I that I trust because like our team captain is really good on visits. So I'm going to just like assign that over to him and then. And then you can start to be more strategic and you can get some, you can get some leverage on what your, what your day looks like and, and you can get some leverage on, you know, what, uh, just like what the organization is doing. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. You opened a door inside that, uh, talking about some struggles again, that, that may come up and certainly as a CEO and, and I, I completely, again, am, am, am always taken back by guys that are in those roles just because numbers and money and those those things just aren't aren't on my on my my radar screen so that's certainly something that you focus a lot on but beyond that it is back to managing people and and overseeing their development so the frustrations that you run into as ceo can can you lay those out and then how have you been able to as we're all looking for that solution oriented mindset have you been able to move past them sure um i mean a lot of the a lot of the frustrations are the the stuff that's that is the biggest frustration is is just self-inflicted wounds you know like stuff stuff where like it's one thing to be like oh you know i think from like a coaching standpoint right it's like it's one thing to just like look across the field and see you know a, a couple of like for like first day of the draft type guys and just yeah. be like all right like we're just going to get beat on talent you know like that's that's one thing but it's another thing when you just like you know kick the ball around all day and let, and like, let some thumber beat you. And you're just like, Oh God. All right. So like, this is my fault. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and like, that's, that's always been for me, the stuff where I'm just like, Oh God. All right. Like we, we did this to ourselves. You know, somebody's on the phone hollering at us about the fact that, you know, we didn't execute on something that we said we would. And like, yeah, that's so frustrating. Right. Cause it's like, okay, like why? why yeah. and at the end of the day if you ask why enough um you tend to like root out the root out the problem That's right. but most of the whys come back to like oh yeah like why did this happen and it's like well the ceo just sucks at his job basically and then, <laughs> and then you're like oh great all right sure um because like at some level and and you sort of alluded to this on the on the coaching side of things it's like everything becomes everything that's internal or self-inflicted is like your own fault or responsibility. Mm -hmm. And like half the stuff that's external is like your responsibility too, because you should have been thinking about it and like, that's your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Like you should, you should be out there sort of like thinking about, okay, well like what's the world going to look like in three years? Like how can I position my team to capitalize on the fact that, you know, the cost of technology is massively going down like year over year. So what does that mean about how my staff is going to need to be uh, configured in three years? Mm-hmm. And and especially now that I've got, you know, Major League Baseball teams essentially like hiring 
the smartest possible people that they can out of every JUCO D2, D3, you know, grad assistants or whatever. They're just like out there sniping people. So what does that, what does that mean for me as well? You know, like, and, and specifically like at the edge of all those problems, like where should I start piloting the ship? And, and so those things are, you know, those things are your responsibility too. And like, if you mess those up, you know, like there's like, if, if I mess them up, uh, are, you know, there's a chance that we've got to like lay people off mm-hmm. and, uh, and that that's terrible. And if a coach messes it up, there's a chance that you just stink for a couple of years. Um, and, and so I think the way that I sort of deal with that is like, uh, one is really, really trying to, uh, empower people and show them that sort of, they have the ability to solve their own problems. I think one, one, like, uh, low level, like underlying function, uh, something that I try to like really root out is when, is when people are, uh, like just sort of like griping about something yeah. that they can solve the problem or if they, if they don't know how to solve the problem that I can teach them how to do that. Uh, but ultimately like they need to kickstart that process because it's too slow for like, it's like th- something happens and then someone's disappointed with that. And then it, it starts, uh, to be a gripe. And then now like two people are discussing it or more. And then all of a sudden that just gets baked into the, culture and like oh yeah well like this is just the kind of place where dot 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 whatever the gripe is right and it's mm-hmm. like if you if you're if you're upset enough about it to talk to somebody then like you can be ups- then you can solve the problem yeah. like and if you and if you don't know how or if i haven't like democratized the tools enough to help you solve it then like get at me about that because we need to figure that out yeah. and so like in the very short term it's sort of like being on it uh, like from that standpoint, but then in the, in the very, but you've also got to remain just like massively positive and optimistic, right? It's like, Hmm. and, and I think, you know, that, that sort of looks like, you know, day one of your freshman year of, of college, right? You step on campus and the coach I think just needs to be very much like, here's all the ways in which you are not a starter today you know like you're but in the very long run like you're going to be amazing you know like you're going to be like you absolutely have the potential to be all conference to break all these school records but like right now you can barely pick a short hop so you know we're going to be we're going to be all over that but like know that 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 gives you uh, that sort of like knife's edge of like long-term way like a thousand percent positive and short-term like very critical um you know hopefully that breeds a a decent amount of like like sort of uh mutual respect or love or call it whatever you want but like that sort of like interpersonal connection that's like okay you know like at least i know where this person's coming from yeah and like and how i fit into where we're all going wow that is so you know it's not just like it's not just like oh mike hates me you know it's like well well, you know, that's, that's probably not true. Like if you, if you work here, uh, that, that, that's definitely not true. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. You know, Mike, there's a point in there that I I don't want to glance over. I want to come back to it and, and try to unpack it just a little bit more. I gotta, I don't know, man, I don't want to throw this dart and and make it stick, but where you kind of land at question of why 
is so important. Is that basically derivative from Simon Sinek and Star Wars? Um, it's not, but it's okay. funny that you say that because uh, people have I, I have I have not done any reading around Sinek at all. Um, I know he exists. I like see his stuff on the in like you know the Waldens and the airport or whatever as yeah. I walk by it. <laughs> sure, uh, but like I, I haven't picked news. it up yet. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. <laughs> But uh, but you're like the third person this week that's mentioned uh, him to me specifically in reference to something like s- topics related to what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so I'll I'll check it out. Well, and here's here's why because I think in in terms of how he built this golden circle of trying to get to the core of the mission of your organization, and, and I encourage this, and when I do have a chance to speak to coaches, I give them this as a you know again bringing the business model to the coaching model. And so if you can draw, you know, an inner circle and a circle around it and then a circle around that, it's what, how, and the inner circle is why. And so a lot of businesses, they can answer the what, what are we, what do we do? What are we about? They get to the how, how are we going to manage this? How's this going to happen? How are we going to fulfill our what? But they rarely get to the why. And that's why a lot of businesses fail. They don't get to the why and then live through the why. And again, whether it was from inside of that book, start with why, or it was just a conversation with coaches Man, if why is that important, and again, back to your point specifically, if it's that important, then let's spend more time on the question of why. So ask the question why, but if you take that initial answer, at least for me, man, if if, if you ask me, man, why do you do that? I'm going to give you the most topical answer ever, and it's going to be a mile wide and an inch deep. But if you force me and if you force yourself as a coach, you know, why do we teach infield play like this? And they'll give you some topical answer. But but again, but why? Why did you land at that? Now you're making them move a little bit further into the dirt. No, but again, why? Why did you land at this? Why is this so important? Why do you believe this is true? And now again, you've reversed the model and you're working, you know, really a mile deep in an inch wide. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's uh I I think the root of a lot of that is uh, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, sure. which is just, you know, like, uh, now we're getting deep. <laughs> yeah. There, there you go. Now I'm starting to first Maslow's reference on the uh, ABCA podcast. I love it. Yeah. But like, you know, pe- people just want to be sort of self-actualized yes. and, and like, you know, re- having like a very clear sense of, of identity is, is super important. Um, and I think, you know, from, uh, from like a, from a macro standpoint, like yeah. you can create the why for, for the organization, like, and, and that really helps with decision-making too. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we talked about people that just get stuck. So it's like, so if they have a strong why to sort of anchor themselves to, and something that usually is phrased like, because we're not the type of organization that does X, Y, and Z or whatever. Yeah. Um, like a good example is, uh, a thing that we've struggled with, uh, you know, over the course of our history is we'll bring in new trainers, train them up, and then they've got a drill that they want to do or something. And, and so they'll just sort of like randomly start taking like two or three guys and like working with them on the drill. Right. And it's like, we are a company that tests all of our stuff first. Mm -hmm. So it's fine if you want to do this in the context of a test, but it's not fine if you want to do this in the context of you have the answer and you're providing the solution to two or three athletes. That's mm. like, so, so that is like a decision that's anchored in why and like what we're about. Mm. Wow. That's good. That's really and good. Like, and so that helps guys get unblocked, right? Cause yes. if they're, 
because if the if the thing that's blocking them is like these two or three guys stink and like I'm like trying to to get them better, then it's like that's great. Uh, but you know, from from our standpoint, this is the this is like the route to take. It's like okay, well, so 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 if I can if I can sort of groove that path for them, and and then my job is to make the testing protocols easier and easier and easier to take advantage of if you're like a frontline trainer or uh, like you know different scenario but um like if if you answer the phones for us and you continue to see like the same sort of customer issues cropping up right it's like uh this piece of the website is broken this piece of the website is broken and you're just getting phone calls on it constantly then like it's my job to make sure that you know how to go into the website and fix it or you know how you know who in the organization is responsible for that you know it's not just about like democratizing all the tools and be like, Hey, well, you got two days of training athletes under your belt. Like here's $150 million worth of professional pitchers that you can experiment on. Like it's not that yeah. it's, Hey, you've got two days of experience here. Great. Like let's train you up to the point that you can lead $150 million worth of professional pitchers on this small subset of things. And then we're going to expand that, uh, like as you demonstrate competence. Yeah. Oh boy. And I think a really neat part of what's going on there, and I'm, I'm actually really excited to hear you open this up and detail it because you're seeing a lot of coaches, at least over the last few years, truly pay attention to the way that they communicate. And I think more than that, the way that their system is set up within their organization or their, their program to communicate. And I know that's something that you guys have a very unique points and heads and the details behind this is going to be great. But open up the system that you have in place. How'd you land at it? And then what have been the outcomes that have come from it? And certainly relate it back to uh, a coach in, in terms of how he could improve his communication system with them where he's at. Yeah, I think so. Uh, being blocked on certain things uh, was sort of something that we were dealing with uh, a lot more two years or so ago. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was the outgrowth of, you know, we used to have six employees, then we had 12 then we had 20, now we have 35. And it's just like, uh, your system for communicating changes over time. Like if I wanted to get everybody in the, if I wanted to get everybody on the same page in 2015, I would order a pizza. Three of us would finish it. And then I would just lay it out like, Hey, this is what we're doing. Great. Yeah. Okay. Like finish the pizza. We're all on the same page. Uh, like one pizza doesn't feed the company anymore. So we've got to really figure out, um, ways to scale things and then ways to empower a bunch of people because additionally, and this is sort of unique to us, but like, I would guess that our median age of, uh, age employee is like 25, mm -hmm. uh, like a, a very large number of folks here are on their first job, which is, uh, good and bad. Like it's good because they haven't been conditioned, uh, to know any other sort of system. Um, but it's bad sometimes because their expectations are unreasonable in any direction, right? It's like, uh, oh, like, you know, we run like a one hour staff meeting once a week. And for a long time, I just got, you know, guys being like, Hey, like, this meeting is boring. Like the, I don't know why we need to sit like to together and like get on the same page. And then uh, a couple of them got to sit in on, uh, on some, uh, some, some pro ball meetings. Uh, you know, I would, I would guess it's the same thing if you are at like a resource planning meeting for the, for the high school or university, right. It's like, yeah. 
you know, the, the budget meeting for the for the athletic budget is probably not taking 30 minutes with a bunch of well-prepared people. Um, and so the challenge that we had was, um, was look like, how do, how do we continue to help people solve problems? Uh, but then also get visibility on what are the, what are the basket of problems being solved currently? And so the way that we've, uh, restructured that was, uh, we've got heads who are basically like, uh, department leaders. So, uh, head of hitting, head of pitching, uh, head of high performance, head of customer service, et cetera. Um, and then within that, uh, individual people have a small number of point projects. So within the context of that, um, a, a recently hired full-time employee is going to be the point on integrating a certain piece of technology into track our software system. Mm-hmm. Um, they're responsible for that. They define what winning looks like. Uh, you know, we help coach uh, what that looks like, uh, you know, but they're ultimately responsible for setting the project. And then, and then I report to them in the context of that project. So they're like, hey, I'm blocked on such and such developer not getting back to me on, you know, all this like uh, testing data that I just gave them. Then like it immediately becomes my job to call the CEO or whatever of, of that other company, get them on the phone, be like, hey, da, 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 here's the, you know, solve that problem, get the developer back in touch and then report back to the point on that particular integration and like that's that's how you get guys unblocked is to be like okay look like yes you work for me in the sense that you know my name is on the front of the check but within the context of this narrow thing i work for you Mm -hmm. and then that's a really good way to understand like who's a like who's a really good leader or not you know because because the the good ones are really hardworking, very smart, know how to organize resources. And so if they're sort of like pinging you, death looks like two things. It looks like someone pinging you constantly or someone never talking to you. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like they, they're both bad. Uh, what, what you want is like every time someone reaches out uh, that they've got that, that it's like, Hey, uh, I've emailed the developer four times. I tried the phone number that's in his email. Uh, I'm just not getting a response, and like I need this escalated. Great. Like you've shown a that you've already worked on this. Uh, B that you have like a reasonable sort of ex- set of expectations and and like have tried to solve this problem independently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like now you're blocked. And so if I can place a phone call uh, and like get some leverage on the situation and and get it unblocked for you, then that's absolutely like a very good way for me to spend 15 minutes of my day. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so that's been like the system that, that we run. And then weekly in our staff meetings, we report on, um, on, uh, just progress against goals. That's it. Well, I'm on both sides of the fence here. So I'm coming from a place of, uh, of guilty and then, uh, and certainly charged and, and uh, accounted for, but like, you know, I'm thinking of the I'm thinking of the the head coach that gives pitching responsibilities to a guy, but the head coach still wants to call pitches in the game. I'm thinking of the head coach that gives hitting coach responsibilities to a guy, 
but still wants to get in his ear and tell him what to call. You know, and I, and and, I, yeah. and and that happens, and it happens so often. Oh, 100%. I know a bunch of dudes listen to this that are like, "Yep, I'm in that boat." How would they navigate that? And again, I guess, how would the head coach that's doing it? What, what advice would you give directly to them? And then, how would the coach that's in that moment? How would he handle that? Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes from a really good place too, which is like the thing I think to to undergird all of that, right? Is like it's not the head coach isn't like in in your ear as the as the hitting coach because uh, because of any reason other than he he deep down cares about what's going on with the hitters yeah. and wants them to be successful and is like trying to help the best way possible. Yeah. Um, it's just that there isn't like a there's not a structure around that to like put uh, to help those things be significantly more productive. Mm -hmm. So like my thought would be um, additionally too, the head coach probably like if he's been around for a, for a decent amount of time, like probably knows a lot about the hitters in the conference, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if, like that's, I think sometimes where the, where the gap occurs, which is like, okay, you're the pitching coach, you train all the pitchers. Um, but I'm going to call pitches cause I know the most about the tendencies of the other coach or, you know, I, I know how like prep swings all the time. So like, I'm just going to, uh, sort of like, I, I've got my strategy to sort of beat that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think a more productive way to set that relationship up would be, okay, you're responsible for the pitchers and then also give over everything related to pitching, right? Like that should be all off of the head coach's plate. Right. But then from, but then there should be like a very clear sort of like, uh, okay, why don't you talk to me about like three days before we play, you know, whoever, write up the game plan on how you're going to attack them and I'm going to review it and then we can get on the same page, mm. you know? And then that's where when you first do that, there's probably going to be 20 to 25 instances where pitching coach is calling curveball and you would have gone inside fastball, yeah. you know, um, or like pitching coach is going, you know, fastball heavy attack on a guy that, you know, just absolutely ambushes fastballs early. So like, okay. But like in the process of, of reviewing that document, uh, or like reviewing that sort of game plan or whatever, um, you teach the pitching coach how you would approach that particular team. Yeah. And then the next time that he writes up a document for the next game, it's probably not 20 things where, uh, where you're breaking on. It's probably like 10. And, and so like over time you can reduce the number of errors and it, you know, it's like, okay, well, but that still means that we're making errors early in this process, right? Like mm -hmm. 20 air, like 20 sort of like miscommunications is not great. But then that's where it gets back to like, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? And like, is it okay? Am I willing to let the fire burn that is 20 miscommunications on calling pitches on the first game of our season? If that means that I have fully divested myself of pitching and can now think about all these other high-level problems that are impacting our team. Right. Fundraising, recruiting, hitting, base running, like all these uh, like, uh, like groundskeeping, you know, yeah. all these other things. It's like, okay, if you, if you can set up that structure where it's like, here's the way that I want our pitchers to win. You know, like, 
you can define it however you want. You know, like there's a lot of guys that are like, we're going to pitch to contact and we're not going to walk anyone. And there's a bunch of other teams that are like, we're going to strike a bunch of guys out. We're going to throw the absolute hell out of it. And, uh, you know, that that's it. Yeah. Um, so d- you just define the way that you want to win. And then the pitching coach goes and executes on it. And, and just like setting up that rhythm of, you know, a very consistent sort of check-in process where education is flowing from the head guy to the skill guy. And then, uh, like hopefully results are flowing from skill guy up the, up the chain. Um, that that's like, that's the the best possible system where you get a, a decent amount of like leverage over the process. Right. I don't know if it was you, Mike, we're talking the other day, but it could have been another coach. We're talking about it reverts back to this employee training, which we've touched on a lot, but I know there's still some more in there and, and the conversation led back to, you know, I think, and, and again, being a head coach for a few years, like I don't know if I necessarily took the development of the people under me and uh, working with me. That's a better way of saying it. Um, if I took their development as serious and more than, uh, Hey, just follow my lead. And, and as we go through this, we're all going to learn and, and, and you'll be just by the, the responsibilities and the opportunities in front of us, you'll kind of gain, but it wasn't as much as, as detailed and planned and organized and, and, uh, maybe deliberate. And so when it comes to employee training, what have been, and again, you've alluded to some, but what have been the keys to success inside this? Where, where does it start for you? How does it look? And, and, and again, relating it back to the coach, how can he bring that into what he's doing with the people underneath him? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned, uh, it's funny that we're talking about this because that's been a real shift for us, uh, in the last sort of call it three months or something. Okay. Like our previous training programs for employees were like, we're going to row you in a boat out into the middle of the ocean and then we're going to just chuck you overboard and be like, all right, swim like, shore, shores that way. <laughs> sure. Um, and you know, that, that's the thing that I think, uh, the, the reason why that sometimes that is the best system specifically for things like startups, uh, where there's, you know, too many things to do on a given day. Mm -hmm. And I think potentially also, uh, baseball teams where like the, the dynamics of, you know, uh, from like an athlete to coach ratio, we have the lowest in, in probably all of collegiate sports. Um, there's just a lot of stuff to do on, on any given day. And so sometimes, you know, that, leads to like a very quick sort of heuristic, which is just like, well, I just need like a smart guy and then, you know, we'll, we'll sort of figure it out on the fly. Hmm. And I think that that works up to like a, a point, but then it breaks. And, and I, and like, I think we have, we've gotten on the, on the good side of that breaking point, uh, where like, I think that if, I think that in 2020, if we were still running the sort of like throw you over throw you overboard training program, mm-hmm. uh, we'd be massively screwing up our company. Um, the, the difference I think for, for, uh, so that's just, that's just to say that it's a, a thing that we've thought a lot about. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, I think the hardest part for, uh, for coaches on the training piece is that it just takes time. Like it just, it, it takes time out of the day of the person who's doing the training to get someone more up to speed than just, Hey, here's the pictures, like figure it out as you go. Um, and, and so the question really becomes like, do we want to be the type of place that wins because 
our coaches are great. Our players continue to get better. And, you know, we're sort of a place where, where people come from like Mm -hmm. that, that was really the shift of, of my mindset was like this off season, we saw major league teams basically like raid the pantry of colleges and ourselves. Right. So, uh, so I stood up at a meeting one day and was just like, this is like driveline is going to be a place where people come from. Like it's going to be a core part of their identity is like, Hey, I got my start here or like, I got my big break here. And like that piece, understanding that, uh, that we weren't that like sort of like all the, the, the low hanging fruit period of time was over. Like we had a really good little fishing hole for like finding people, Mm -hmm. uh, for like a really long time, which was we paid just as good as pro ball, uh, and you didn't have to travel. Uh, so you would just come like, we just go find a bunch of like really good small school coaches and ex athletes and, uh, just be like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to work here? And it's like instant. Yes. Uh, and we started losing people, uh, to professional baseball, to other colleges. Um, and, and so that's where our mindset shifted to like, okay, we just have to train. We just have to train the next generation of, of leaders. And the way to do that is to, in my mind, the way to do that is to give people leadership type experiences and then have them, uh, sort of expand their, their capabilities over time. The challenge, the challenge though, that I think, uh, uh, teams have is that it's, it's hard to really invest in someone when you know, you're going to lose them in a year. Especially like, on the small college level, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. If, if this person is, if you know that you're like, and I think, I think a lot of head coaches feel this way in like, in talking to them is, you know, they just feel bad that I can only pay my pitching coach $2,000 this year. And like, I'm going to, and that's why they kill themselves to like, try to set up all these camp opportunities. And they're, and they're frankly like excited when that guy gets the call up to, you know, a full-time coaching gig. And I think that's also why you see this like huge outpouring of frustration around like the vote around the third assistant, which is just like, you know, in, in some ways, like trying, trying to get the best out of people while they're on a one year deal for not that much money is, is really tough. Um, can't you though, Mike, let me ask you this. Can't, can't you take that, that idea and in essence that, that hurdle can't you flip it on its head and, and, and bring it right back into the model that you put into place in terms of, and as you were saying that, I'm going, man, if I'm a small college coach or, or if I'm a college coach, if I'm a high school coach, we're a place where people came from. I, you're st- basically helping us build our coaching tree right now. You know what I'm saying? Like one day you'll yeah. say, cause that, that to me is when, when you get a guy on here, I'm starting to get fired up, but you get a guy on here and he's and is a, a co- successful coach and he's breaking down his career path, man. A lot of times, especially when you get to Mount Rushmore questions or things like that, they bring up like the first dude they worked for and not Absolutely. because they have to, it's because that dude for, for more often than not took them under their wing and went, all right, young pup, let's get you schooled. Let's make sure you understand recruiting. Let's make sure you always have a stopwatch. Let's make sure, you know, you know, personal appearance, I mean, whatever it is, like all those little, that list of things that they have to know before they move forward. I feel like it's the same type model, but it's just changing, as you mentioned three months ago, changing the mindset of this is who we are going to be. Does that parallel for you? 
I think so. I think okay. the the thing that I was sort of outlining is like the the just mental crutch that like the people go to, right? Which is sure. like, ah, yeah, I'm, I only have him for a year, so like it's it's just it's just easier to not train him than it is to like mm. spend a bunch of my time to train a guy that I know is going to leave. And and I think the yeah. the flip is like, well, you know, like you you only get returns if you take on some sort of risk. Yeah, and That's right. and and so like if you just want to run this like if you're never going to risk your time, then like, that's fine. But just know that like the best assistant coaches or the best people are going to go to the place where someone's willing to invest in them. That's right. You know, like, that's right. yeah, we're absolutely going to lose people to other organizations, teams, whatever. Um, because that's just, that's just a part of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that I'm not going to like try to put them in the very best position possible, uh, to go out and like, and get that job. And we've had guys, uh, like I very actively encourage people to take whatever interviews they can, um, to go see, see what it's like. And Mm -hmm. it's my responsibility to have an environment where they want to stay like, and, and we've had guys turn down just frankly, like enormous jobs to to stay with us and uh and that's and that's because it's it's my job to to like create the environment that makes them want to stay wow okay big question here a lot to to really dice up but step back for a minute and that's what you and i were talking about a couple days ago just step back away from the bubble get outside of it for a minute take that that thirty thousand foot overview look down of the entire process man across the entire timeline that you've spent, you and Kyle have built driveline into what it is. When you do that and you look at the management of this entire deal, what for you are the takeaways? Like what are the what what are the pocket of man, these were hard knock lessons, but they're have what helped shape me and and really build me into who I am today. And then again, if you had to leave, what would be the, I guess the the nuggets that you would take with you wherever you go? Oh man. Um <laughs> We asked the tough questions here. You knew yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I think one of the biggest uh, lessons, uh, a, a thing that I think I've really sort of honed over time is that you just can't be afraid to go for something. Mm-hmm. You know that, like that, the process of taking a risk is worth it because of the development along the way. Like we talk a lot internally about just thinking about what baseball is going to look like in five to 10 years and taking a risk on making that a reality. Um, that being said, uh, you know, you, you still got to take care of business on the, on the day to day. Um, <laughs> so, so that becomes like a, that becomes a challenge. And, and a lot of times, uh, you know, the, the places where I, uh, sort of struggle are I'll, I'll get like way too involved on minutia. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just like way too involved and I've got sort of like tunnel vision for, you know, a couple of days, couple of weeks, you know, on certain projects, like multiple months where I just like can't see the forest for the trees. Like that's always been like my hmm. errors. And so trying to build in a process where I can zoom out and, and like, think more broadly it has been key um but then also like 
if you're going to send it on some on some big initiative, um, you've got to be pretty operationally dialed in. Like your booster club is just not going to care that you're going to transform, you know, West Texas Technical Institute into like the home of data driven baseball training if you just like can't open up the Rapsodo and use it, you know, like, (laughs) so like you, you do need this like combination of sort of like vision and operations. And, uh, you know, that's just that, that to me is like the, is like our carrying tool, which is, uh, the more that I, the more that I think about that and the more that I sort of stay in, in that space of like not too detailed, not too like dreamy. Um, Mm -hmm. like that's a, that's a real sweet spot. Okay, let's get into the to the back half of this. And there's some things that I think, again, put in the spotlight on you, Mike. I really want to help the listener and myself, especially as our friendship continues to develop. I just want to kind of get more of the nuts and bolts. Uh, almost uh, Oprah sit you down on the couch and see if we can't pull out some really cool stuff about you. And I think one is, you know, this this community of, of the folks that pay attention to our podcast and, and the ones that we've really tried to to hone in on and build a product for is ones that are just, they're looking for things to constantly challenge them themselves or looking for ways to improve and grow and never get settled, uh, let their thoughts settle in concrete. So I guess if you could answer what's something that you've read or watched or heard recently, uh, that really challenged you that you went, wow. And make you step back a little bit, kind of sit back in the chair and go, man, I could do that better. I could do that different. What would you point to? It's actually two things, uh, that have, that have hit me, particularly over the last like two weeks. Um, one is ESPN just wrote an article on uh, Greg Popovich about the, about how much money he spends on team dinners. Hmm. Uh, did you, have you read that? No, at all? but please send it to me. It sounds awesome. Okay. So, uh, so pop is like, uh, basically like a legendary, uh, wine connoisseur okay. and just spends uh, seven figures a year on restaurant tabs. And the way that the way that he does it is pretty unique, which is uh, he'll like bring bottles of wine from his own cellar. Uh, he's like a legendary tipper. Uh, he like on a two hundred fifty dollar uh, like dinner bill, he'll tip like five grand. Uh, and and a lot of so so I'll leave I'll leave that one there, uh, which okay. is like that that piece. But specifically, he brings the entire team out on these like huge dining adventures where he basically like he runs through the entire uh the food list like orders everything pairs it with wine and like really sort of like curates that experience for the team and then it goes into some details which i thought was interesting about just the way that he structures those things um it's like team eats in the middle and then their families are sort of like around the outside along with sort of some key staff and then pop and his staff are sort of like at a table that's apart um I thought there was some like really interesting sort of details there. Uh, and then the other is a book called uh, trillion dollar coach, which is a book about uh, Bill Campbell who was football coach at Columbia, then came to Silicon Valley was CEO f- at uh, Intuit, which makes QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, but then famously he was sort of like the personal coach of Steve jobs, the Google guys, and like the trillion dollar coach thing alludes to the fact that, you know, he's probably created a trillion dollars worth of value, uh, just by being sort of like the trusted consigliere of, uh, of those people. Um, and, 
and both of those things so so it sort of lays out his uh leadership principles one of which uh the the key one is basically that you know it's sort of like very people first and i think mm. both of those things really challenged me to like on the popovich side it's it's using things that you're personally passionate about to to rally the team like the thing the thing that i'm very good at is just like operations systems thinking breaking everything down and then like figuring out sort of a solution there mm -hmm. um and sometimes it's easy to like wield that as just like a, a huge hammer uh and and that can be a challenge because like you neglect some of the popovich things you neglect some of the like people first coat like coach the person first develop that like deep relationship first mm -hmm. and i think I'm thinking about it because it's it's easier to do that when you've got three or four people on your staff. And it's harder to do that uh, when you've got 40. And then the question becomes like, at what level should we have a deep and personal relationship? You know, like uh, certainly Phil Knight does not have a, you know, like <laughs> is not inviting all of Nike over for Thanksgiving dinner. Sure. Um, so like, what are the responsibilities and at what level? And, and those are, it's funny that those things like came into my life at basically like the same time. Uh, but it's just been something that I've been like really chewing on. I don't know if I, I certainly don't have an answer yet, but that I think that there I'll, I'll, I'll sort of get at why I'm thinking about this, uh, from the standpoint of, you know, obviously we've made our mark inside of the game of baseball as being sort of like a very sort of, uh, data-driven place. Mm -hmm. But then there are coaches who don't understand anything about data and are get exceptional results. So like, sure. why is that? Why is that a thing? Um, and, and like, that's something that Kyle and I have acknowledged, discussed internally, discussed externally. Like when we do consulting with, uh, with teams, uh, there have been a handful where, you know, the guy that we're singling out as the best coach is not the smartest guy in the room, but he is the best coach. Mm -hmm. Like he, he gets his guys, he gets the most out of them. And so if I'm more wired on like the more sort of like dispassionate Spock problem solving type of way, mm -hmm. there's gotta be a way that I can figure out, uh, you know, how, how to like really, really connect with, with key folks, yeah. uh, and, and so I just, I've uh, been like thinking about it quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have an answer for how to go about executing that, but it is like, you know, it's just this process of like continually reevaluating like, okay, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? And particularly for like this moment in time, like my strengths and weaknesses four years ago relative to what we were doing are different than they are now relative to what we're doing now. And then they will be 10 years from now relative to what I'm trying to do then. Um, and so Kyle and I think a lot about that. Uh, that's actually part of the reason why Kyle deleted his Twitter. <laughs> it's like, yep. uh, you know, it's like uh, he just really wants to be a big league pitching coach. Yep. So, yep. well, in the similar fashion that he uh, did it at the Dallas convention, uh, sitting in those nice uh, Texas Dawn chairs, uh, he said, you know, I'm going to put this out in space, let the universe conspire. I want to be a big league pitching coach. I'm going to put out, Back to your point, Phil Knight, I've donated so much money to Nike over the years, shoes <laughs> and gear, 
man, you, you, got, you, you owe me back. a Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> at some point. You got to have me over. I'm putting it out into space. Let have the you, universe you, get me there. Have you read his book? Have you read Shoe Dog? I have not. Actually, it's one book oh, that I don't God. have. Yes, I, I've I've heard great things about it. It's on my list. It is. It was the best book I read two years ago. Wow. It's well, it's incredible. That's good to know I'm two years behind you, but I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, two years behind me. You're like 20 years ahead of me uh, in a lot. Let's go into this, man. I, I think another step in this process is how are you engineers as a learner? Are you, you sound like you're a reader. You've dropped three refer, uh, book references on us. Or do you listen to other podcasts besides being a podcaster? Or are you more of like a conversationalist? You more of a pick up the phone, pick brains, uh, mentor, mentoree? Where do you fall in that? Uh, I'm a... Uh... I'm like largely a like teach teach and do type learner. Oh. Like it, hands dirty. I just I I like literally need to write stuff out. Hmm. Like that that really helps me. Um, and then uh, audiobooks is a big one. But uh, I consume audiobooks. I think a little bit differently. I I will listen to the same audiobook like six seven eight times. Like my huh. i've got the like audible subscription yeah and uh and so I'll, I'll like download a book if i if i like connect with that then that's great i'll finish it if i'm not connecting with it i just immediately sort of like return it and like look for like the new thing yeah uh, but then once once that like once something makes it into sort of like the canon uh i'll just crush it like Trillion Dollar Coach I just wrapped up this week, and I suspect that I'll listen to it probably six or seven times over the course of the next 12 months. Is that and, to make sure it sticks? Yeah, it's, I mean, like... Uh, That's how I would read. I, I would need to read it twice or hear it twice to go, okay, man, we're getting closer to gluing that thing into place because it just it doesn't, doesn't always stick on the first time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's especially true for listening versus reading. Like, yeah. if you're sitting down in a chair or at a desk reading underlining like doing like really active reading mm -hmm. then you need fewer reps to get it to stick mm -hmm. but from an audiobook standpoint you know like i'm driving like somebody might be making a point and i'm changing lanes and then i just miss it you sure. know it's like yeah so uh so really like listening to it a bunch helps me sort of like glue it in there like you said mm -hmm. and then uh and that's and and I, i'm only trying to do that for books that I get a, a ton of value out of. Uh, and some of that is like, uh, more like business booky type things like uh, trillion dollar coach or shoe dog. Um, but I've just been like, I really like, uh, biographies and histories. Uh, Shackleton is for any, for anybody who is, uh, a leader of men, Shackleton, the story of, of Shackleton going down to the South pole is uh, lu actually ludicrous like <laughs> like it's a it's a completely true story and it reads like uh like a like a, a like a movie that stars the rock like wow so shackleton wanted to traverse the south pole yep he recruits all these like just scumbags basically from from england and and sort of like the greater uk area at the time sails down to the South Pole. Uh, basically, his, his ship gets trapped in ice. And so he never makes it there, but he spends the next, I forget even how long this is, uh, but like 
the next three to six months getting back to uh, the whaling station that they sailed from. Mm -hmm. And it is an incredible story. Like the ship breaks apart in ice. He's now like, he's got no navigation equipment. He's got like five rowboats basically that he's stuffed like 40 guys in. Um, And so like, I'll spoil the ending, but like (laughs) he, he makes it back and they don't lose a single guy. Wow. So there's lessons in leadership in there too. It's incredible. Yeah. Like, uh, there's also like, yeah, it's, it's great. Like it is, it is the best book I read on leadership in quite a long time. And it's, it's a pretty incredible story. I'll tell you what, you signed up for a baseball podcast and you got South Pole Explorations. Our, our listeners are just getting, and a, and a Maslow's right. hierarchy of needs reference. So we're just going on, on different places here. It's, uh, uh <laughs> he, they, uh, they do a decent amount of penguin eating in that, uh, in that book as well. So, uh, it's, it's very exciting. It, it hits a lot of high points. I won't let Cooper be in the car. He, he's a, he's a big penguin fan. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're listening. Um, yeah, a lot of everyone's favorite sea life makes it onto the menu at some point. So that's awesome. I added that to my list as well. Um, take us into the best people in baseball. Cause certainly you, you, you've run across so many fantastic dudes. And so when you, when you lay out the, the qualities that really rise to the top of the best people that maybe give you a blueprint of I need to, I need to make sure I'm, I'm better at these areas. You know, it seems like the best successful people have these attributes. What do you point to? I think, I think a thing that, uh, that I look for, uh, and certainly like when, when I'm trying to evaluate someone that I want to bring onto the team, but then also just the people that I really respect inside of baseball mm-hmm. are, they're really confident and really curious. Hmm. And, and I, and I, I'm not, I think that stems from, uh, I think that confidence comes from knowing that they can sort of figure it out if, if they get stuck somewhere. Um, there, there's sort of that trope that's like, you know, no ego or we're not gonna have an ego or whatever. Uh, but like, I think you need a little bit of ego. You've gotta, you've gotta have some amount of trust in yourself, confidence. That can't be the dominant factor. Obviously there I'm no, we're not going to go full ego, but like you do need to have some of that because especially as, as a leader, someone who's working on the floor with athletes, someone who's, uh, talking to customers every day. Um, you've got to have some confidence when you're conveying the message so that it'll stick. Like it just comes back to like effectiveness. And, and part of that effectiveness is people looking at this, at this person who's talking to them and being like, this person really knows what they're talking about. And, And like, I, I will like follow them or like align my worldview to theirs or whatever. Uh, and so, that's, I think, where the where the confidence element comes from. But then the curiosity factor is like is so key. You, they've I feel like a lot of the very best guys are confident in what they're running right now, but then always trying to figure out, okay, like exploring that sort of like dark forest beyond the sort of circle of insight that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, to start to understand like what's out there that I don't really know about right now. Um, and man, I, that's just like, that is such a, such a superpower in a lot of ways. Well, I'll give you this, man. I've heard this several times. You have to have an ego to know when and how to get rid of your ego and move it out of the way. I mean, you really do. You got to have a concept of, of, of what it is and the confidence there, 
But when you know, like you said, what's relating to people or finding a solution or being curious, you can't walk into that conversation with your ego at the forefront. It's got to die way back there. So you hear differently, think differently and challenge yourself differently. Yeah, that's right. You, you can't, you can't stand up in the, in a big league clubhouse and be like, anybody got any solutions here on uh, how we're going to go to the world series? Uh, cause you know, I, uh, you know, I, I have some skills, but, uh, they're not world-class in any sort of way. It's like, sure. what are we doing? Yeah. Who are you? you know? Yeah. Why? How did you get in here? Yes. Uh, take and, his keys away. Yeah. So like, so, you know, you've got to, you've, but that, that piece is like, you've got to be confident enough to project something and then have that component. That's like, I am still curious about your differing viewpoint on this. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough, it's a tough thing to signal. Cause I think, I think people sh- try to shade or like end up gravitating over time to like jerk or doormat. Um, and, and it's just hard to stay in that, in that middle piece. Yeah. Uh, and, and you just, some guys just have it naturally, and then otherwise you just got to work on it. Okay, a couple quick hitters here, and the beauty of it is fill in the blank, but again, give us some explanation and, and background behind it. But a uh, tough one here, man, because you got to narrow it down to one thing. One thing you need to work on is? Um, I mean, I'm going to go to my grave saying that it's communication. Like It's the, it's the number one hurdle to basically anything. Uh, like if everything is driven by relationships, the number one impediment to relationships is communication. And, and, and I think the, I think I'm pretty good at it right now. Um, but it's the, it's one of those things where that's like, there's always returns to getting better at it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not like other things where like, yeah, I'm 90% good at, uh, like sort of groundskeeping. So I can, I can just be 90% good at that. And then, go do other things, right? Like if you're not the head groundskeeper for Yankee stadium, like you don't need to, the returns to going from like 90 to 99 are like pretty low. Uh, but from a communication standpoint, man, if, if you're just the best communicator in the world, uh, you can do anything. <laughs> like, yep. uh, it's, it's such a, it's such a superpower. And, uh, and that, and that's like the thing that gets me, gets my brain chewing about like the pop stuff and, and Bill Campbell is like, these guys are just really good at that. So were they always that way? Did they learn that? Like those are the types of things that I'm, uh, that I'm curious about. The key to success is. I, I think it's just being useful. Hmm. Like that. Every, everybody's got problems that they need solved. And, uh, and I, and I think it's just being useful. Like if you can, if you can be useful to everybody that you come in contact with, you win. Um, and, and I think, uh, I see that a lot in applications that we get, uh, where a lot of people, especially as our brand has grown, Mm -hmm. uh, people write in and be like, you know, uh, one of the questions we ask is like, why do you want to work at driveline? Um, and Pete Dupuy, who's, uh, Eric Cressy's business partner talks a decent amount about this as well. Uh, but they'll write in with like a lot of sort of like eye focus language, which is like, I think this would be a great place for me to get a start in baseball. I would like to start my career here. Da 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 da. It's like, uh, but then we get some applications that are like, here's 15 guys that I've trained. Uh, here's the direction of like the results that they got. I like, I think that this would be a great place for me to like 
learn more about how to get better. Uh, I think that I could really deliver for you guys on the training floor because here's a hole that, uh, that you guys have that I fill. Uh, and like, that's a guy that I'm looking at, right? Cause it's like, yeah. he's focused on what my needs are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what everybody wants to hear. Right. Like, and, and I think that like that utility thing is, is, it's just, it's just important. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. In the end, when our careers are over, it's all about. I mean, I'm just going to go back to the same thing. Like <laughs> if the key to success is being useful and then like what, if, if you want to have a successful career, like it's all, it's all about the same thing. Yeah. I think, and I think, uh, you mentioned this at the, at sort of the top about those guys who have that like big sort of coaching tree and they, mm-hmm. and they point back at like, Hey, like here's this guy who like really helped, um, all, all the best guys are, are like that. They all have, you know, they just have huge funerals and like, that's a, that's a weird thing to sort of optimize for. But like, unless you're like the principality of some sort of, if you're like the dictator of North Korea, then like, you're going to have a huge funeral. Cause like you just force everyone to come, <laughs> yeah. but like fear. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, but, uh, but like, that's not, uh, that's not happening for, you know, baseball coaches or whatever. Sure. And, and those guys are, you know, that people are come because, because they helped, like they helped at a, at like a critical juncture or they were always available or, you know, they, they just, they just helped progress other folks. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly the thing that, that I like, I'm trying to optimize for, like at the, at the end of the day, I just want, uh, want to help as much as possible. You know what? In the language around that, I, I love that idea. It's it's one that I I really hold near and dear. It's a coach that came on here a, a while ago, and uh, one that I've grown close to. Just the guy who wins is the one that has the most people attend his funeral. And I think it's less about, for me, it's been a language shift, Mike. Of it's less about the the quote unquote. It may be cliche, but like I'm going to make an impact. Well, to make an impact, that's more of the after effect. That's the result. The impact is the result. But what is the process to getting to impact? It's about making a contribution. And that's, man, that's reshaped at least how I view certain things that we do here, or my interactions with coaches. And certainly if, if you take that with you and into what you do, I think it's make a daily contribution, make a contribution to the relationships that you have, make a contribution through a phone call, leave that person better than you found them. That's not an impact that's a contribution that at the end of the day, if you multiply that and it compounds itself over and over again, getting to the, the mortal side of this thing is at, at your funeral, people go, holy smokes, man, that dude made an impact. But it wasn't because you you drilled that down every day. I mean, who am I going to impact today? It's less about, man, just make it, make it more about the contribution. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I think that's, I think that's a great point. I mean, uh, you know, the, the biggest impact in history is probably the asteroid that hit earth and killed all the dinosaurs. But like, that's not a contribution. That's you know, right. that's very, that's a very negative event. <laughs> you know, like if you're trying to optimize for an impact, there's, there's probably like a, you know, there's a 200 mile wide crater under the ocean in Mexico that can attribute to that, uh, that asteroid's impact. But like there were a lot of, a lot of dinosaurs on earth that did not, uh, did not like that. <laughs> First dinosaur reference. And somewhere Coop is fist pumping because that dude is, is <laughs> absolutely encapsulated with, with dinosaurs. All right, boss, man, last last couple things I got for you. One is you've offered so much, Mike, and it just seems like man, this has got a lot of meat on the bone to it. But if you could kind of boil it back down and maybe some stuff we didn't get to, what's the best advice you've been given 
And then what other advice for anyone paying attention to this, coaches across all levels from youth all the way through professional baseball, what advice do you have for them? Um, man, uh, I'll, I'll say uh, one sort of like very counterintuitive piece of advice that, uh, that I got uh, very early on was uh, to save half my birthday money, which has always stuck with me because that sort of like frugality of like taking a $10 bill, getting change for two fives and putting one in the bank yeah. is, is such an option out, like is gives you such optionality as you, as you go through and live your life. Mm-hmm. Like there's this, there's a thing that is like sort of like lifestyle creep where you start to like get a little bit of success and then that impacts your worldview. And then now all of a sudden you're like the type of person that buys a $30 bottle of wine and, uh, and just being able to maintain sort of that, like more frugal, uh, a- approach is just gives you like, if everything hits the fan, then at the end of the day, like you don't have this like messy baggage of like a bunch of like lifestyle and ego that you've baked into all that, you know, you're just, you're just a guy, uh, who, you know, is, is trying to do a job. And, uh, and I, and I think, I, I think a lot about that because like the, it does speak to some of the ways in which we like run our gym as well, which is, uh, like our gym just does not look good. You know, like it's, it's good enough. Uh, but, uh, but it isn't like you, you are not coming to our place because of the way that it looks. Um, and, and like the, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a very sort of like, we just try to be very results oriented. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that stems from, you know, we're just trying to make sure that the money that we do spend is focused on athletes and, and getting them the best results. As far as like advice for, for listeners, man, I I don't know. Uh, I, my, my advice would be like, I guess if, if anything has resonated from like what we've talked about and I'm not entirely sure that it, that it has, but like if it has, then like right now, write down a thing that you are going to do about what we just talked about Hmm. and then do it within the next week. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Like you, you can't just passively consume all this information, right? So like write down what it is and then my DMS on Twitter are open. So DM me what it was. And it could be literally anything, but, uh, but yeah, I'm just, I really want to know, uh, you know, that, that helps me too. Right. Cause like we, we talk about, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to use the word impact, but, uh, <laughs> contribution. but like, yeah, I want to know if, you know, we want to know if we're making a contribution and I'll share that stuff with, uh, with sheets. I was Hey, add me to the group, start a little group. If, if you're listening to this, I love it, man. Where can people find you? Give them the direct Twitter handle. Oh, uh, shoot. Uh, Mike underscore Rathwell, I think, yeah. uh, just, just Google search Mike Rathwell yeah, and it'll pop up or Twitter search, I guess. And at coach sheets three, throw us on that. Cause certainly I'm, I want to be invested in this as well, man. What you picked up from this that's charged you love the homework, Mike, that's going to be something you're going to work on again within the next week. Mike, where else can people find you? If they're interested in more information about what's going on there, take them, uh, give them the appropriate places to go. Uh, the website is, uh, our website is drivelinebaseball.com. Um, we've got a support desk that's 
open seven days a week. Support at drivelinebaseball.com. Uh, and uh, my email is Mike at and shoot me an email if you have questions. Love it, man. Hey, thanks for carving out some time. I know you guys got a lot of things in the hopper and a lot of things moving and shaking there. Uh, love the podcast. Love what's going on there. I think the the, the brand continues to grow and certainly uh, give our best to Kyle and the crew. And, and again, thanks for being part of what we do and certainly a partner and supporter of the mission here at ABCA. Mike is a confidant and a friend, man. I just I appreciate you, dude. I'm glad you jumped on here with us. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah, you bet. Coaches, thanks again for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our mission is to serve coaches around the world. So please let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information about our baseball coaching fraternity, you could also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, I'd love to hear from you. You can do that on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or shoot me an email at Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA.org. We would love to hear from our loyal members. We'd even love to hear from some new ones as we continue to find new ways to work together at growing the game of baseball. Huge thanks to the sponsor of these Dugout Chatter episodes, our longtime partners over at Rawlings. So if you want more information about what they're doing for baseball and this association, head over to their website, Rawlings.com. That's Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And thanks again for your support of this podcast. As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you to keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.